Hi class, this is your instructor, Skylar Hall. I say welcome back to another podcast. I am now here in chapter 12. And here in chapter 12, we'll explore DNA, known as deoxyribonucleic acid, the carrier of genetic information. To teach such, I would go back into time. So those objectives as it states is to summarize the evidence that, that accumulated during the 1940s and early 1950s, demonstrating that DNA is genetic material, and of course state the questions that these classic experiments addressed. So during the 1930s and early 40s, most geneticists did not pay attention, I would say, to DNA. The attention that was paid was to proteins, meaning that it was once thought that proteins were, of course, genetic information. So let's jump right on in. We'll begin here with what you can see on page 255 with a key experiment. This, of course, was the transformation experiment, as it is known, by Griffith. So, back in 1928, it says Griffith made an observation concerning two strains of pneumococcus bacteria. One was a smooth strain, and of course, one was known as the rough strain. So, as it states, the smooth strain was virulent, it killed, and the rough strain was avirulent. So, what was done was he used in his series of experiments, meaning the rough strain cells injected into the mouse, the mouse lived. However, when that smooth strain was injected, the mouse died. He, he killed that smooth strain, and of course, the mice lived. However, when he mixed that rough and the heat killed smooth, the mouse died again. So, to make that make a little bit more sense, what he did is because neither the heat killed smooth nor the living strain would be converted to the living, violent form injected by it themselves, it seemed like there was something that converted the avirulent to that lethal form. So, in other words, this type of permanent genetic change is what led to the properties of one strain of dead cells being converted to a different strain of living cells. So, of course, this was known as transformation. And as science is, this process of what was done by Griffith was done again by Avery. So it was Avery, along with Macleod and McCarty. And in their case, they chemically identified Griffith's transformation factor, his transforming factors being DNA, through their experiments. So during their experiments, they tried everything again, and they used, of course, with both lipids, proteins, polysaccharides, and nucleic acids, being, of course, DNA and RNA. By testing each of those fractions, of course, to see if it could transform the living rough into smooth cells, it was found without a doubt that, of course, it was DNA. That was the genetic material. So yet again, it was done, and the next time it was done, it was the question being, is DNA, or protein, the genetic material? in bacterial viruses, known as phages. So in this case, it was Hershey and Chase. So what Hershey and Chase did was used bacteriophages, or phages. And in what they did, they used what is radioactively labeling. So they did these isotopes, these radioactive isotopes, to follow what they were labeling throughout the experiments so they could see it. So what they did is they radioactively labeled the S being for sulfur in the protein, 
and you can see this on page 256, and they also radioactively labeled the P for phosphorus, and they let the experiment, the experiment go. At the end of the experiment, what they found upon those cells going through binary fission was that it was only radioactive phosphorus found in those cells that had gone through binary fission, and they found no radioactively labeled sulfur or protein that entered the cell. So it was now known without a shadow of a doubt that DNA is, in fact, it was, in fact, genetic material. So DNA and structure is what we're at next. So always and forever class, DNA we made up, of course, at least, I guess I'll go with what is known as the nucleotide being what makes it up, at least at the monitor. Nucleotides are made up of three parts. The phosphate backbone, the pentose sugar, and DNA is deoxyribose, and of course, last of which I'll say, being a nitrogen base or nitrogenous base. So with that being stated, what then those bases are would be, of course, either a purine is attached, being adenine or guanine, and then there is a pyrimidine attached, being either thymine or cytosine. And always and every day, there is one purine bonded to, of course, one pyrimidine with, of course, a hydrogen bond as those nucleotides do interact. So, of course, it is always adenine bonded with thymine, and guanine is always bonded with cytosine. If you can continue on the text, we're now in 12.2, going through how nucleotide subunits link to form a single DNA strand, and we'll describe how two strands are oriented with respect to each other. And then, of course, I just stated the base pairing rules and how complementary base pairs are formed. So, of course, DNA is anti-parallel, in which, of course, there is a 5' prime and 3' prime in. Please use the pictures to show you this. And I've already touched what Shargoff's rule is as far as base pairing is concerned. But I must also state, since we're still back back at the time, it is still not known what DNA necessarily looks like. So the person that helped is known as Rosalind Franklin. Without Rosalind Franklin's, I would say, contributions to science, it would not yet be known. At least, when it was known, what that structure of DNA is. So yes, women can do science and do science very well. So what Rosalind Franklin did was used X-ray diffraction to determine the three-dimensional structure of DNA. So from those X-rays and the X-ray images, if you look at figure 12.6 on page 259, at the bottom left, you'll see her image itself. So by shining that beam through that sample of DNA, the image you see there is the image she had. So I'll be blunt, from her image, that, of course, was shown, I would say, to others of which being Watson and Crick, yet I will say without her permission, they were able, class, to make that first three-dimensional model of DNA known as that double helix. From here, we'll move on down, of course, and end things about complementary-based pairing. I've already mentioned, class, DNA is anti-parallel, so it goes from three prime to five prime on one strand, and that complementary strand goes from that five prime to three prime. If you see on page 261, page 261, it shows that on that left-hand column. So A pairs with T, and G pairs with C, and of course C to G, T to A, and of course A to T, and C to G. So DNA is anti-parallel. Last and its last would be, of course, getting to replication. So keeping in mind that this, called DNA, exhibits that semi-conservative model. So I'm getting to, of course, Messelson's and Stahl's experiment, in which they mentioned, and they, I guess I'll say, experimentally showed 
that, of course, this is that semi-conservative model of DNA. And being semi-conservative, you only need one strand of DNA to synthesize the complementary strand of DNA. So that's what that conservative replication refers to. So with that being stated, I'll go through the process of replication rather quickly. First things first, for a replication to occur, what is needed is, of course, the RNA primers. The RNA primer is needed because that is a point at which replication will begin. Helicase is also needed. Helicase unzips that double helix to allow replication to begin. So, of course, we have an origin that's here, but there will also be an origin on the opposite side in which helicase did unzip, and of course those RNA primers have been added. So upon getting those RNA primers, what will then occur, of course, is DNA will proceed in that 5 prime, 2, 3 prime direction. So here, along with, excuse me, primase, along with DNA primase, this will allow replication to recur. So going from that 5 to 3 prime direction, DNA polymerase 3 or DNA polymerase will add nucleotides. Of course, if there was a G already there on that 10-place strand, it'd add a C. If there's another G, of course, there'd be another C added. And of course, so on and so forth, following Chargaff's rule. And of course, it'll make that DNA strand, that leading strand of DNA. On the opposite end, the very same process will occur. So DNA replication occurs in both directions. However, from the lead strand, which we just finished, on the opposite side class, it'll be the lagging strand of course, composed by way of Okazaki fragments. So those Okazaki fragments, yet and still replication is occurring in that 5 prime to 3 prime direction. However, the lagging strand, of course, lags behind more slowly. So, of course, DNA ligase will stitch together those pieces and parts and make one continuous strand of DNA. And thereafter, of course, you're left with two identical strands of DNA. On the test, please be sure that you all are able to, of course, describe the process of replication. I know I went through it here with a good with a good pace, but please, class, take your time to go through such things. Thank you all for listening, and please sit well for your test. And don't forget about those summaries at the end of the chapters that summarizes, of course, each of those learning objectives. Thank you again.